Good morning, saints. Well, as Karen mentioned in her prayer, we've been addressing the question, why did Jesus die? What might feel like an obvious answer, what I've What has driven me is to show how deep the scripture is, how many wonderful truths there are about the death of Christ and, of course, the resurrection of Christ as well. And how applicable it is to our daily lives. It changes everything. Obviously, obviously, our eternity is reversed. But for the here and now, there is such comfort and hope in what Christ did at the cross. The cross, the death of Christ, is woven into the very fabric of the Old and New Testament from Genesis to Revelation. This is the story. It is not a side story. It is the story. Remember in the Old Testament, right from the very beginning, Three chapters in, the book of beginnings, God says, I'll make a way. I will make a way. The very first reference to Christmas, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There's the Ark of the Covenant, the justice angels looking in directly to the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets that declare the holiness of God and expose our own sinfulness. But saints, right next to that, right next to that is the manna, the bread of life. Christ, of course, is the bread of life who was born in the house of bread in Bethlehem. One cannot not see the sacrifices that are all throughout the Old Testament. Literally, the pages on our Bible are stained with blood as there is sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But God was faithful to say, these are pointing to someone much better who will get the job done. Himself. Isaiah. The references to Messiah, whose name is Almighty God. Saints, that is that is not something you would expect to see in Jewish scriptures. Naming a baby God. But Christ is Emmanuel God with us. Zechariah telling us that God will deal with sin in one day. One day. Once he will deal with all of it. So this morning let's start off with an important statement by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. What Jeff read earlier is followed by this statement. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Remember, the Corinthians were an idolatrous pagan culture. Did Paul pander to the current talking points in their culture? That would be disastrous. This is what Paul said. 
I decided, I was resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you want to answer the question, why or is the death of Christ important? Is it central? Here's your answer right from the Apostle Paul. I decided I was resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So let's flesh this out just a little bit in the amplified version. For I made the decision to know nothing That is, to forego philosophical or even theological discussions regarding inconsequential things and opinions. While among you accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, the meaning of his redemptive, substitutionary death and his resurrection. That's it. That was the focus of the Apostle Paul because everything for the Christian flows from the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He considered the crucifixion of Christ of the utmost importance. Throughout scripture, there are grand themes that emerge. We are confronted with the holiness of God. Remember, scripture tells us, the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. We see the justice and the righteousness of God. We cannot get away from it. We cannot explain it away, and we most certainly cannot trivialize or sidestep the holiness and the justice of God, which leads to a question actually posed in scripture. How do we stand before God who is holy? Beyond this scriptural teaching, my own conscience tells me what is plainly obvious. I'm a sinner. We're very good at pointing that out in other people. But in a moment of lucid thought, we know it's true of each and every one of us. We know it's true about us. If we correctly understand the holiness of God, our sin becomes immensely problematic. And scripture is faithful to point that out. But you see, alongside the holiness of God, we also see the love of God. We see the mercy and the kindness of God. In fact, those very words are intrinsic to gospel discussions in the New Testament. Those are the very words that you will encounter in the passages that so richly and beautifully portray the work of Christ for us and the beauty of the gospel. It is the kindness and the love and the mercy and, of course, the grace of God. But the question now is this. How are those concepts brought together? Saints, this is why the death of Christ, Calvary, the cross, never gets old for the true believer in Christ to speak to, to think about. It's so beautiful. 
The cross brings all of these concepts together in perfect harmony. God's righteousness, holiness, and his justice are perfectly upheld. Perfectly upheld. God's grace and mercy and love and peace are on full display and so wonderfully extended to those of us, all of us, who need it. So let's begin to wrap together all, some of the concepts that we've been looking at because my greatest desire is that what we've been talking about the last two months, we bring it all together and understand why the death of Christ is so important. Yes, all of us understand that as far as becoming a Christian. But I sense today that many of us diminish the value of it or almost kind of sidestep it in different settings. Let's remember this. Jesus was our substitute. That's a key word. If you want to understand the cross of Christ, you have to understand this word, substitute. Isaiah 53, the most profound passage about this, particularly in the Old Testament. He took our place. The New Testament affirms that over and over and over again. He took our sins upon himself. He willingly took them upon himself. And he became a curse according to the law on the tree. Now imagine that for just a moment. Emmanuel, God with us, the son of God, became a curse. You see, that is where we draw our hope. The love of God. That he would take on the form of his own creation. That he would suffer in our place. That he would suffer. Becoming a curse for us. Is it any wonder. That the sun was darkened. That, that there were earthquakes. All these things happening. Because that's not normal. He suffered the full and righteous wrath of God on our sin. Do not overlook that last part. In culture today, it is very common, and rightfully so, to highlight the love of God, but unfortunately, often, it is at the expense of the holiness of God. This is what we call the penal substitutionary death of Christ. Christ paid the penalty he took my place on the cross. Look at the glory of the cross. Here's another key gospel term. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. That is straight up New Testament teaching. Here's the catch. It is the gospel that informs us that we need to be reconciled. Many people today will balk at that. The gospel takes us right to that place where it demonstrates to us, every single one of us, bar none, we are in need of reconciliation to God. It is through Christ and only through Christ 
that sinners are reconciled to God. We are completely forgiven. And we now have the righteousness of Christ. Saints, please, please let this sink in. It's not just that you're allowed in or that you're snuck in the back door. Inasmuch as he took on your sin, he also gave you his righteousness. And so God sees you through that lens. That is absolutely beautiful. How do we ever move past that? How do we ever get over that? How does this ever become boring to us? We have the righteousness of Christ, but it gets better. We're not just declared not guilty, which is amazing. We're also, the scripture says, declared to be righteous. Our union with Christ. So Romans 8, those of, uh, of us who were enemies of God. That scripture, enemies of God. We are now, verse 17, co-heirs with Christ. He calls us brother. That is beautiful. Let's move on. There's another word we talk about quite a bit, which is sanctification. Sanctify means to set apart, to, be made, to make holy. We are freed from the penalty and also from the power of sin. We looked at this last week. We are not simply declared not guilty. Again, that is beautiful. But the power of sin is now broken. I am no longer a slave to sin. Only the gospel can do that. That is the power of the gospel and the power of the blood of Christ. Furthermore, I am no longer enslaved, Hebrews 2, to the slavery or the fear of death. Death is not something that we fear in Christ because we know that he has gone ahead of us and where he is, we will be as well. Again, Romans 8, verse 29. The beautiful gospel promise that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Scripture tells us that we are being transformed now, that's sanctification, God at work in us, we are being transformed from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another until ultimately we are literally in glory and it is complete, free from temptation, free from heartache, free from disease, free from all of the things that sin has brought into our world. Now, there's a missing concept when talking about salvation that I notice in many discussions about salvation. It's the word regeneration, the concept. It's what Jesus said, born again. Remember John 3? As the, the apostle John links his gospel, the last gospel, to the first three that went before him. And Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, the religious leader who should have known better But he makes this statement. 
Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. We're not even at the point about entering it. You're not even going to see it. You're not going to see your need for it. But listen to what scripture says. We are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. All of this is tethered to the gospel and to the death of Christ. We are a new creation. We're not who we used to be. That's exactly what baptism is, saying, you know what, that's who I used to be, but not anymore. Titus chapter 2, this new creation, this new work that God does in our life. When we believe in Christ, he says this, we are now a people who are zealous for good works. The very disposition of our heart, the very disposition, our desires, they're changed because now the life of God, God himself is living inside of us. It is not merely, as some will erroneously teach today, that to believe in Christ is to miss the penalty of sin in the future. But now it is the life of God living in me, changing me, transforming me, giving me desires that I never had before. Please look at this as well. Jesus, Hebrews 2, destroyed the one who held the power of death. It was not merely death itself, but it was the one behind it. That word destroy is a very strong and a violent term. John uses it as well. Why did he come? He says the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, to destroy the works of the devil. And the author of Hebrews says this as plainly as plain can be in chapter 2. That through the death of Christ, the blood that was shed, our adversary has been destroyed. The cross, the meaning of the blood of Christ that was shed and the death that Christ died, it runs right through Romans chapter 6. This concept of being united with Christ, our union with Christ, his life in me, and eternally secure. I'm, I hope that you will come to love this word. Karen mentioned it when she prayed. It is so freeing. It is so beautiful. It brings such comfort to us. God the Father is completely and utterly satisfied, appeased with Jesus' offering of himself. In every way, the debt has been paid. Not in part, but the whole. All of our sins, our very nature, done, gone. You see, remember the Old Testament. Priests ministering literally every day. It didn't take a genius to look at that system and say, you know, this is, this is powerful, the imagery here, but something's not working. Because the same guy who did something yesterday is doing it today. 
Or didn't we have the Day of Atonement last year? Why are we doing it again? This is the beauty of what Christ has done for us. In every way, he satisfied the justice and the holiness and the righteousness of God. I am now gifted a life that is free of constantly feeling guilty or shamed or not enough. Saints, those are not gospel terms. They are of the enemy. And this is why the cross of Christ is so beautiful. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not just in the future when we die one day, but now every single morning. The Holy Spirit will never, ever shame you. Ever. He will and does convict us in accordance with the truth of God, but he will never, ever, ever shame us. Jesus is enough. He literally is. He is enough. It is for freedom, Paul told the Galatians, that Christ has set us free. There's a word that runs right from the Passover in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, right through to the cross. The word redemption. To redeem means to buy back, scripturally speaking, at a great cost. I don't have a slide by design. If you have your Bible, please turn or scroll to Colossians chapter 1. These beautiful gospel terms, we're going to jump right into a prayer of the Apostle Paul for believers. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Gospel terminology, inheritance, that is a gospel term. What we are saved to. Light and darkness, another gospel term. So he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And while we're at it, saint, I'll tell you what, that is a beautiful gospel term. Because none of us in our right mind says, well, yeah, I'm a saint. In fact, we have all kinds of saying. Well, look at him. He's a saint. Look at what he's doing. But a saint is one who actually is righteous, who wears the righteousness of Christ. And so that's why the New Testament liberally uses the word saint, because that's what we are. Verse 13, he has delivered us, a gospel term, delivered us from the domain of darkness. Look at the word light in the, in the verse before. Now look at darkness. He has delivered us from that. We are no longer there. And transferred us to the kingdom, the reign, the domain of his beloved son. We are now in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you see how dense these texts are. This is the prayer of the apostle. Verse 14, in whom we have 
redemption and the forgiveness of sins. All of this is brought to bear through the suffering and the death of Christ. So I commend these truths to you and don't stop. Keep studying, keep looking, keep digging. I could preach every single Sunday on this theme. I have merely and barely scratched the surface. When you think of the cross, remember this passage on the new birth. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I won't stop the reading, but just notice the gospel terms that are just in there. It is like a feast as we read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does this do for us now? In this You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The King James says, joy unspeakable. Saints, where are you parking your mind? These truths are true in every generation, every single day for the saints of God, bar none. Why did Jesus die? I commend this question for your ongoing pursuit and consideration. When we ponder the sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ, the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the holiness of God, the brutality of the Roman cross, the author of life hung on a cross. It will be a fount of never-ending encouragement and perspective and help and support for you every single day. I'd like to leave you with this thought. We've talked much about 
what Christ did on the cross, his cross. What about this cruel instrument of death in my life? Here's a takeaway. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross he's talking about is not Calvary. But saints, you and I will encounter suffering and trials of various kinds, as Peter said. This process of following Jesus, of maturing in our faith, Consider these thoughts. We died with him. That's New Testament theology. We died with him. We don't clamor for our rights. We, the scripture says, the scriptures say, we are citizens of heaven. We're pilgrims passing through. So for the Christian, it is how can I love my neighbor? How do I put others in front of myself? The New Testament tells us over and over and over and over and over again, I am a slave to Christ, to do his will. That is the sole purpose why I'm still here, to declare the goodness of God to be a salt and a light in this world. There's there's no other logical reason why I'm even here. Let us not, brothers and sisters, pursue a life of ease or comfort. But let us prepare our hearts and our minds to love and to serve others. Even to suffer for the truth, to love the truth, to proclaim the truth, to live by the truth, to live on solid biblical convictions. Let us deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. We conclude our little series that became longer than I expected it to be by observing communion together. I cannot think of a better way to end this focused discussion on the death of Christ. This is a time as imperfect as it is in a big setting like this. We're not even looking at one another. But we are gathered together. To remember the beauty of the cross, to remember what it is that we were saved from and what it is that we're saved to, and to to build our lives accordingly. I would simply like to read, as you reflect on God's love for you, perhaps you need to confess sin. I submit to you this passage that we've read before. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, not the old way, the new way, but by means, by contrast, of his own blood. The outcome, thus securing an eternal redemption. Our redemption is not based on our performance in the beginning, in the middle, or in the end. It is by nature eternal. For if the blood of goats and bulls, the Old Testament, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, set apart for the purification of the flesh outward. Verse 14. Let, us, let, let this sink in. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Read that verse every single day this week. When you wake up in the morning, read that verse. It is so phenomenal. There is the Trinity right there. The triunity of God. But he says, the blood of Christ saves us from the penalty of sin, yet future, but also cleanses our very conscience so that we can serve God willingly. That's the work of God, that I actually want to do the right thing when no one is watching. This is the power of the gospel. So we always like to read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, this is the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me, please? In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you join me, please? Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards us. Thank you for the beauty, the glory, the simplicity, the power of the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. Oh Lord, bring us back as many times as is necessary every day to that which is of first importance. 
Develop our confidence as we walk with you. Train our conscience according to the straight edge of your word. Develop within us that freedom that Christ has purchased for us. That we would endeavor to maintain a clear conscience before you and before men. Never let us lose our sense of awe and wonder at the cross. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Abandoning all of our efforts at reforming ourselves, making ourselves better, doing penance, all of those things. But recognizing and acknowledging Jesus Christ for who he is, Lord of all. And believing and trusting completely in the finished work of Christ, what he has done for us. Not in addition to our best efforts, but to replace them. Thank you. And Father, we pray if there's anyone who has never put their faith in Christ, who has not believed in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Acknowledging their own sin and calling upon you for forgiveness. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.